Hello and welcome to The Bravest Kind, a podcast featuring behind-the-scenes stories of fearless individuals demonstrating bravery and kindness in their everyday lives. I am your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I am a firefighter and EMT with the Kirkland Fire Department located just outside of Seattle, Washington. My guest today is Ben McKinley. Ben has a passion for the outdoors and has introduced countless others to the benefits of an adventurous lifestyle as a big mountain backcountry ski coach. Ben dives deep into the value of doing hard things, finding the balance of taking risks while maintaining proper safety, and exposing his own two daughters to challenging outdoor pursuits. A former college football player and competitive ski racer himself, Ben also discusses his transition from being a traditional ski race coach to empowering others to discover and enjoy new and remote terrain. This is a great one for those with a brave and adventurous spirit. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I have with me today Ben McKinley. Uh, ben, it is great to see you. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Bravest Kind. Yeah, Ryan, great. I appreciate being here and appreciate you doing this, and it's really fun to participate with you. So Ben and I know each other from childhood days, going way back, growing up in Medford, Oregon, and we've reconnected a bit over the last couple of years. And one reason I really wanted to have Ben on the show today is because... He is an extreme outdoor enthusiast, and I really just admire uh, how you go about uh, living your life. And I wanted you to share with our listeners some of your life beliefs, philosophies. And so my first question that I have for you, Ben, where does your love of the outdoors come from? Well, great question there, Ryan. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about this uh, when I was looking at some of the questions you shared with me last night and and thinking back and it's like, man, my first organized sport experience was with you mm-hmm. and your dad and That's DJ's right. dad on the soccer team. That's exactly and, right. Uh, maybe we go into that a little bit later, but there's some pretty funny, <laughs> that didn't go very well. Was this, but, uh, was, 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 the, was this the, was this the little rascals team? The little that? rascals. That's right. I the little rascals. And you want to know something? I mean, we can just talk about it right now. Why not? Uh, I believe if memory serves me correct, we scored one goal that entire season. And I believe it was an, an own goal. That's possible. <laughs> what I can assure you of is I didn't score that goal. And I remember I actually was better known for bringing uh, cashews and other snacks and snacking on those. So the equivalent of a, a flower picker in uh, the terms I use in some of my coaching. And uh, your your dad and DJ's dad asked me to actually no longer be with the team no. because I was distracting and clearly not in it for not enjoying myself. And, and then it turns out I... I, I was involved in a, an accident on the playground. This is a common theme in my, my life. Uh, I fell over backwards off the, the, um, the play fort and got a concussion. And, uh, and then it was towards the end of the soccer season and they felt terrible. Everyone felt terrible for my accident. They're like, well, Ben's a proven eater and we're having this end of the year soccer party. Why don't we invite Ben and just, you know, have some time for, for him to enjoy some time with the guys and, and, you know, do his proven skill of, of eating. So that was the beginning and the end of, of my soccer career. As I remember it, my five-year-old brain retained that story. So I'd love to talk to Scott about that. Someday. Yeah. I mean, yeah. apparently so I'm going to have to give him some crap for that. I can't believe he was already booting kids from the team. Age. You know, I thought I, I coach both my kids, uh, soccer teams, as well as some of their other sports teams right now. My kids are six and nine and I feel as though I'm pretty competitive. Sometimes I have these little conversations with, myself after like Ryan you just need to tone it down a little bit but yeah it's safe to say I've yet to cut a kid 
though, from a, yeah. a rec team at this age. So right, my, right. Dad, my dad's got me beat in that regard. You know, my dad's funny <laughs> because for those that know my dad, he's one of the most chill, laid back guys. Is he, 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 and my mom ran a Montessori school for 40 something years. He was a primary school teacher, but he's one of the more competitive guys I know. He, when he gets into a, uh, any kind of game that uh, has a winner and a loser, there's no doubt he wants to win. Oh man, I can relate. I'd love to, I'd love to get this perspective if, if he even remembers it and my participation, <laughs> but that was my kind of like, well, that didn't work out so good. Where do I go from here? Apparently you weren't privy to this because we then formed a team called the shooting stars soon after that, that went undefeated for a couple seasons. Uh, but we were without cashews and good postgame snacks with that. Team. Yeah. And hopefully you had plenty of orange slices. I, I, I also remember the shooting stars, but that could have just been me on the sideline wanting to be a part of it. Or, or for all I know, I was a part of the team for multiple seasons and it became pretty obvious. Like this isn't for you, Ben, maybe you should find something else to do. But anyway, yeah. Well, I, you have, found, you of, have found plenty to do. I mean, just so our listeners know, I know I'm being a little self-deprecating, but you're, you're one of the more badass athletes that I know, not only continually. So here as an adult, and like I said, why I really wanted you on this show today, but uh, you played college football at Lewis and Clark, and you were a competitive ski racer, uh, one of the best in the state throughout our uh, high school years. And like I said, you continue doing all kinds of hiking, skiing, running. So, you know, maybe it was just, yeah. it, it might've just been soccer. I mean, don't, don't sell yourself. No, short, absolutely. Right? And that's the funny thing is I coach both my kids in soccer. I don't know anything about the game, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I love, I love getting outside, no doubt about it. Uh, and frankly, it comes with a little bit of guilt about how much of my time I protect for mm. pursuing these outdoor activities. And, and I think there's a, a really ultimately a very healthy balance there in terms of trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle and, and good health myself, both mentally and physically, but then, you know, living in this treasure trove of the Pacific Northwest, so many of the activities I love, I mean, it's just like endless. And, and when I think back about my childhood, you know, ultimately I think I picked my parents pretty well in that regard. My mom was a, a hunter jumper. So she would, you know, get on top of these big horses and, and jump over these fences, okay. like in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad, he started off as a, a sea scout kid, grew up in the Bay area and didn't really have in, in, you know, California and never got enough of the outdoors. So in my childhood, uh, we spent a ton of time, you know, hiking and cross country skiing and riding bikes. And it was just always outside. Um, and so, you know, from that, it just built upon that foundation. Uh, I got introduced to skiing actually, uh, our, our mutual, uh, very close friend, Tyler Gerking was mm -hmm. kind of the guy at school that was always wearing his Mount Ashton racing association, yeah pull over. And I was like, I want to do that after a season of, of trying it, found a lot of inspiration there. And, and finally, that was the first thing where I did find success and, and, you know, learn to love the pursuit of, of progress and uh, getting better at something and then being able to identify around that. And I think that was, it just pun intended kind of snowballed from there where it's like, well, I can do this thing and I can feel confident and I, I can make progress and, and, I'm in nature and this is beautiful and scary and all the things. So yeah, I think that's, uh, that just kind of morphed into, you know, football in my in sixth grade. And those were kind of the two organized activities, but then it was just, it was everything Southern Oregon afforded us with the yeah. Rogue river and Mount mm -hmm. Ashland and Lake of the woods. And all those things were available to me with, uh, the privilege that I was, you know, granted as a, you know, kid growing up in Southern Oregon with these families that, that valued that stuff. Yeah, pretty fortunate where we grew up. I, I still think that every time I go back there, there's uh, not many better places uh, to spend a childhood. You know, something funny, you mentioned Tyler Gerking 
exposing you to skiing, he's who got me into tennis. Tennis was never, ever on my radar. It was nothing anybody in my family did, all I did up to that point. And I I started pretty late for tennis, all things considered. It's a sport that most people that really excel at started at age five, six, seven. And I think maybe we were in sixth grade, but all I had done up to that point was your traditional sports of football, baseball, basketball, soccer, and still obviously pursued uh, a lot of those. But yeah, he's the one that got me that. I think he was taking some lessons. He's like, hey, do you want to take tennis lessons? And yeah, that ended up being the sport that I (laughs) played in college. Yeah. And I remember you guys going for it. And I I did a little bit of that, um, you know, went and got lessons from Frank in and his whole program Mm -hmm. and and saw you guys kind of take off, which was really fun to watch. And I'm like, no, this ain't my jam either. So I'm going (laughs) to go back to those sports where I can (laughs) hurl myself down hills and, and see if that'll work out for me. But yeah. That's cool. well, let's talk about those sports that you hurl yourself down uh, downhills. You have been coaching now for over 25 years. You started coaching while you were in college uh, for mm-hmm. high school programs around Portland. Uh, I know over the past few years, you've transitioned from being a more traditional ski racing coach, focusing on disciplines such as slalom and giant slalom, to now putting your focus and energy into big mountain and backcountry ski coaching. Was this a natural evolution for you or did something trigger that transition to moving away from more traditional ski race coaching to this big mountain and backcountry ski coaching? Yeah, this is a great question. And, and, and you know, um, in my, my initial introduction to the sport, I just happened to be right during the 84 Olympics and Bill Johnson won the downhill, mm-hmm. you know, that guy grew up in Sandy, Oregon. Yep. Uh, you know, we had a lot of, of successful breakout performances, the mayor brothers from up in, uh, white pass, Washington mm-hmm. and, uh, and racing really captured my attention, the big screen, all the glitz. And, and I went whole hog into that. Um, but growing up in Mount Ashland, you know, the bowl and, and a lot of other, uh, more aggressive terrain, you know, the crew that I surrounded myself with, uh, it wasn't just about operating in this groomed control environment with very specific distances between gates and disciplines. But it was like, we want to go to the bowl. We want to send it, you know, it was Glenn Plake and Scott Schmidt. So we were trying to emulate those guys. I always remember we'd drive up to wherever it was and be like, Oh, if it was four feet of powder and bluebird and Warren Miller was down there, would you duck, you know, and always <laughs> trying to like convince ourselves we could yeah. do those things. And so there was always this balance between, building the fundamentals in a, in a controlled race environment, which was critical for us to then be able to take that into bigger terrain. Uh, but there was never avalanche safety considerations. There was the notion of avalanches, but we did our best to, um, you know, just kind of uh, somewhat safely approach bigger terrain. So that was always a, an area of interest, but we were also focused like, we're going to win this race. We're going to do these things as individual ski racers and later as, as team ski racers. So as I continued through, um, the, I think one of the first big triggers in my life was right before I graduated college, a friend who had backcountry skiing experience said, Hey Ben, I'd, um, when, you know, I told him I want to climb Mount hood he said, okay, let's do that. Mm-hmm. And so we strapped, you know, super heavy race equipment to our backs on these, you know, travel backpacks with all sorts of play. And I was 55 pounds heavier coming out of, you know, my, my D line career. Yeah, no, you're a, you're a, you're a slimmed down version of yourself from college years. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely packed on the LBs for that that position <laughs> and, and just yeah. general lifestyle choices. Yeah. Um, but we we slogged it all the way to the top of the mountain, and I hallucinated on the way up through the pearly gates. I thought I saw <laughs> birds flying. No, just rocks in the snow. Passed out on the summit for a good half hour before he's like, "You gonna get up, dude? We should yeah. probably ski down." And then we skied boot top powder all the way to the bottom, mm. and I was just like, "I am sold. This is the coolest thing." So I got into mountaineering got frustrated that you know you'd plan a, a climb on a weekend after college because you had a job during the week and you get weathered out and then kind of um but but all the way through i was coaching high school ski racing and and loving the fact like i get to coach ski racing but and we get this team aspect and i get to pay forward all of these huge benefits i enjoyed as a, a racer but also like there's a whole lot more mountain let's go check that stuff out so it just kind of progressed to the point where i coached high school for 11 years I coached about 10 years. Um, I coached adults at the Multnomah Athletic Club in Portland, Oregon, okay. which is kind of a social athletic club, mm -hmm. as you know. And then uh, at that point, the, the head coach is like, Ben, we see you ski when you're not coaching. And, and we have this kind of evolving free ride program that hasn't quite found its, its way. Would you do that and, and help introduce these kids to this bigger terrain that don't identify as racers? And I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. I, I kind of liked just working with the adults and chilling. And then I was like, but could do some fun stuff. Yeah. So anyway, I jumped in there and, and basically all I did was scheme around the mountain, you know, and just like, Hey, here are all the places I like to go. And, and, and then all of a sudden we got all this really positive feedback and from the parents and the kids. And so then we started to try and systematize it a little bit and realize like, what are we doing that's helping to grow this program from six to 36 over three years? It, it grew quite quickly. And and how can we continue to evolve this and, and add safety measures around yeah. what we're doing so it'll, it'll be applicable to more, more and more people. So what were you doing? What do you think allowed that to grow so rapidly? You know, I think some of it is just, uh, you know, this, this notion of we, we knew the mountain really, really well. Mm -hmm. And, and one thing, I mean, I, I had a, an assistant coach this year who joined us from the race program and she was a, a state champion for her high school at Hood River Valley in Solemn. And she's like, Ben, I've never skied off a groomed run. I grew mm -hmm. up skiing at mounted. I've never yeah. been off a groomed run. I've never had skis longer than 155 centimeters, which are yeah. quite short for Solemn. And I was just like, I don't get it. And she's like, yeah, no, I'd train and I'd go home. I'd come up and train, I'd go home. And so I think we just like to explore the mountain myself and, and the other coaches, uh, and, and we knew all these little nooks and crannies that the other kids didn't know about. So a lot of it was, I mean, I just call it adventure skiing. It's like, let's go find the fun nooks and crannies people don't know about. Let's find the little stashes where it's not been skied out and then let's push ourselves and encourage that discomfort, encourage like identifying and managing risk and encourage some of these things that I think oftentimes in society we're, we're, we're told to protect versus empower. And I think that was a lot of it, just empowering these kids to think bigger and, and ski bigger lines instead of constantly be told, be careful, don't go there. I'm not comfortable. Instead, it's like, no, let's do that, but do it in a smart way. I, I wanted to talk to you about that. And I'm glad you brought it up. You said about taking risks and, and not necessarily taking the the safe path or the the one that's that's known and, and that example right there with your assistant coach who had never been off of a groomed trail talk to our listeners about the value in doing hard things and pushing the envelope and taking those risks yeah you know a couple of things around i guess for for me it, it kind of boils down to curiosity right mm -hmm. and so it doesn't matter if you're you're on a treadmill 
or you are, um, you know, in a wild natural environment, um, there are these boundaries that some of them are, are, are largely imposed by our brains, but also our bodies in terms of, do we have the skills? Do we have the, the, the lung capacity, all of these things? And I think I've, um, I came to, uh, I was never into endurance sports at all. Um, you know, until, uh, after college and that notion of climbing a mountain, but before that running, I'm like, that's bad for your health. Yeah. Why would you do that? Although we had fun that hood to coast. <laughs> we, did. we did the hood to coast. You know, what was funny yeah. with that hood to coast. I'll, I'll backtrack for a second. Yeah. Ben wrote me into doing the hood to coast, which for those that aren't familiar is this really epic team relay race that starts at Mount hood and ends on the Oregon coast. And I believe there's 36 legs. It's typically done with teams of 12 and, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just an ongoing relay throughout the night. And I had run a marathon maybe a year or two before that, yeah. I, I ran the Seattle Marathon my junior year in college. And I think that's one of the reasons you called me up. You're like, hey, Shafe, I know you did a marathon. Right, just, right. But, but the reality is I hadn't ran for since then. You know, it probably been two years later. And I yeah. hadn't even laced up the shoes once. So, oh man, I remember dying on that thing, but doing everything I could to uh, to try to make you proud, man. I didn't want to let you down. <laughs> You were like, Shafe's ran a marathon. He'll be fine. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I got this marathon running buddy over here. He'll crush it. No, that team and Not was to mention hilarious. you and I are probably the two bigger. I mean, talk about a Clydesdale division. I mean, for yeah. those, Ben and I are both, what, like 6'3", over two bills. Like, not your traditional okay. runners. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, you just think about like, okay, uh, can I pull that off? Well, let's give yeah. it a shot. And, and I, I, I guess I just continued to sign up for these bigger mm-hmm. objectives and saying, well, that was interesting. And, you know, learning a lot about myself, uh, learning a lot about these activities, uh, being inspired by all of these folks in our communities. You know, the, the trail running and ultra running community in Portland is mind blowing. I mean, the stuff yeah. that these people do, I look at probably the same, you know, how in the heck did you pull that off kind of perspective? That, that some people look at me in terms of some of the things that, that I'm finding pleasure in. So, you know, I just kind of tapped into that, uh, continue to pursue that, that curiosity. And, you know, I think with running, oftentimes it's, you know, that progression is, is kind of speed, distance, or vert, right? Those are some of the, the things that you're trying to push on your pursuit up that ladder. For skiing, you know, it's, it's the green circle, it's the blue square, it's, you know, up to the double yeah. black diamond mm-hmm. in a resort setting. But yeah. again, if you go beyond that and you just continue to extend where that curiosity might take you all of a sudden you're like i'm on top of this entire mountain and i can go 360 degrees off this probably shouldn't um you know a good 180 of those degrees because that's not going to go well but these specific routes and then you know just building layering skill on top of skill over the years i think puts us in a position where even at you know 45 now i'm looking at it going man i'm doing some stuff i'm really excited about and there's still so much i want to do so a lot of it i think is is looking inward and not outward perhaps mm-hmm. for some of that that inspiration because you, you can always either be you know floored by someone else who's doing something you can't relate to um or or you know get some feedback from someone else it's like you're crazy or you're risky or you're you know negative feedback that could could hinder that growth but just you know continue to say i'm going to set this little goal go towards it and if you find joy in that man i just it just fuels the the passion to keep keep exploring those yeah. those boundaries and and then trying to find ways to bring other people along in that journey and share those experiences expose people watch them yeah. you know hop on board and in plenty of cases then be like I'm out. That was great. Um, yeah. No, don't call me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about that. Actually, as you were talking, I was thinking with some of these kids that you have exposed to this and, and specifically I'm asking this about the backcountry and big mountain skiing. 
What type of value and benefit have you seen with kids' self-esteem and mental health and watching some kids maybe uh, tackle uh, some of these risks that they didn't think they were capable of? I'm just curious maybe about some of these evolutions that, that you've seen or transformations, maybe is a better word, take place. Yeah, well, I'll tell you again, just kind of going back to like the, some of the, the, um, inspiration for me is just having coaches that, that invested in me, you know, back in the day and helped me to, to overcome those barriers. And it wasn't just in these more controlled, you know, football field or, or Mm -hmm. race venue environments, but beyond that, you know, bigger terrain, uh, water skiing, uh, mountain biking, et cetera. And so I got a taste of that and know the the kind of reverence that I hold these, these coaches, uh, in, in my own life. And so the opportunity to pay that forward has been, uh, so fulfilling and yeah i mean i've seen um i think some of the 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 bigger kind of like bucket list items would be staying on top of mount hood and you know i was invited into this this group of families that were introducing kids to mount st helens for a handful of years on mother's day which as tradition Mm -hmm. goes you wear a dress up there regardless of gender on (laughs) mother's day i didn't know yeah and so they it was just this big party you had all these kids there was this momentum and they would find their way to the top of the mountain and i'm just like i want that for my kids but i don't feel comfortable with the risk burden yeah uh, but it turns out these other families who's one of them's a program director for the, the team i coach now he and his wife i mean his wife was uh the first guide of the first all women's trip to the top of, of uh, mount everest and oh, wow. they got very close to the summit the hillary step before backing yep. down because mm-hmm. of some injury stuff this guy john he got to he guided a guy to the top of lotzi which is the fourth highest peak just a, a across from the from um, Everest. And so there, here are these people with incredible mountaineering experience and guiding experience that we could kind of come in b- behind and be a part of. And then from there, build the skill to then say, I think I can pull this off on my own. So, you know, again, just paying homage to those that have kind of helped facilitate this. But yeah, my nine year old stand on top of Mount Hood. I mean, talk about just bringing you to tears. What a special thing that was. Yeah. And then uh, two years ago, my nine, my youngest child, when she was nine, of course, she had to do it at age nine because her big sister did it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then my and my my oldest daughter Tatum was thirteen, and sharing that experience with both of them. Um, and then yeah, another kid uh, hiked up with me uh, in that group uh, when he was twelve. And this kid was extra special to me because I had coached him. He wasn't obviously my own kid mm-hmm. and and we took him up the mountain without a parent uh where typically when i've gone with these parent with Got these it. younger kids to the top of the mountain it's included a parent because yeah. of that that right. liability and and just like just making decisions in these environments but his mom actually had been battling cancer for a long long mm-hmm. time and i'd grown quite close to her and quite close to him and she's like i would love for my son to have this opportunity and if you would you know grant it to him i I trust you implicitly and John and, and, um, you know, would you do this and to share that experience with him, uh, and then to have climbed St. Helens with him earlier this spring, it's just like seeing these experiences stack up and the way these kids identify around that and the bond that we share with these, as I heard you in a recent podcast talking about your profession, it's like, it's unique and it's intense. And it really, I think, uh, creates these deep bonds that you're just like, man, forever. When I see this, this young man, I will just be like uh, so happy, you know, just to reconnect on those memories and what we've done. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think very, very unique, very intense, very uh, difficult uh, circumstances, whatever it might be that that's what really creates those, those bonds. When you do share that experience with someone that's, that's been there with you and, and that can yeah. relate. I, I, I have, that has been a topic that I've talked about on a few episodes of the show. And I think one that really rings true. I, 
you were talking about that boy that you brought up. What, what was his name? Or is his, his name Luke? Luke. Okay. Yeah. And the impact of that and him not having uh, his, uh, a parent with him. That was one thing I wanted to talk about because you obviously give a lot of yourself and a lot of your free time is spent giving to others. Mm-hmm. What do you get in return? And does it feel as though your bucket is filled by giving yeah. so much of yourself to others? Yeah. And you know, that has really changed over the years. I think, um, when I first got into ski coaching, there was definitely a desire to, to pay it forward and, and contribute, but it was also a pathway financially to do the thing I loved. And, uh, and, you know, when I look at that balance over the years, uh, that pathway, you know, financially being able to access the sport mm-hmm. continues to be a real thing in terms of, you know, breaking down cost barriers for my entire family to go creating opportunities and community for my family. But that's less of an issue now than it was. And now it's more like I do this because I want to. Um, you know, I've, I've run this, uh, web development company, cascade web development going on 20 years with, and 15 of those with Christy, my wife. Um, and I enjoy that. Uh, and I, I take a lot of, of pride in the team that, that we've got here and the, the clients that we serve, but you know, it's one of those things where you put a ton of energy out and it doesn't always feel like that comes back. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with this skiing thing, especially in the last five years with more of this big mountain backcountry angle, it's like, I feel like I'm just having fun. I'm just doing the thing. And that comes really naturally to me. And I get so much more in return. Um, and even this year, as you know, in, in recent years, as we're, we're, we're doing things so differently that oftentimes our, our, uh, the boards of directors for these teams I've coached for, they come from a race background and they're trying to like, yeah create connections like well here's what it looks like in race and it's like yeah but this isn't competition based we aren't about results we aren't you know there there aren't age classifications there's no end in sight like this is a lifetime pursuit a practice this isn't like a competitive sport and you know sometimes that is stressful and my wife will you know christy will be like you know do you need this stress is this helpful and i'm like part of me is like man i don't know of much uh really meaningful stuff in life that doesn't come at a price to your question mm-hmm. earlier about doing hard things. And there is some challenge to this, but the the rewards that I get from parent feedback, athlete feedback, and especially as we start to make steps forward. I mean, this year we did probably three or four backcountry days just outside of the resort at Mount Hood and exposed you know, probably 20 kids to backcountry skiing. And then we took a subset of that group out to the Wallawas for um, uh, three separate days of uh, snowmobile assisted backcountry skiing. So you ride a snowmobile in for 10 miles and then backcountry ski all day and ride it back out. And uh, watching these kids' minds get blown as they explore like, First of all, why am I walking uphill when there's a chairlift yeah. right there and yeah, I have a exactly. season pass in my pocket, <laughs> right? Like, what is right. this about? And then right. like, oh, wait, there's endless fresh pow and there's no frenzy to get it. This is kind of yeah. cool. And oh, there's a snow cave. Oh, that's kind of cool. All these like new things that they're tapping into. And then the notion of like, brap, brap, brap out to the, yeah. out to the ski train and snowmobiles. And there are these two golden retriever dogs that are just awesome. And these guides that are just amazing. And one of them was a female guide. And my group had my daughter and three other girls and like some dads. And so these girls connecting with this female guide and, you know, these things are just so magical. So yeah, I think what I found is it, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes, you know, bringing people along and educating them on, on my vision, which isn't um, an obvious one for a lot of folks, but then all the positive feedback that comes back, is just like, man, if I could do this all the time, 
I think I, I'd like that. I think, I'd, yeah. you know, of course, it'd start feeling like a job like anything else, but it's just <laughs> like, I, I just can't get enough. Most people, when it, it comes to mid-March, when the season's winding down, I'm just like, dude, I'm shifting gears. Like, right. it's just getting better. Yeah. And so uh, I feel really lucky to have found something like that in my life that just, that fuels me like that. How about from a parenting standpoint? I know you said that your your daughters, you have two daughters, Tatum and Lauren, and your wife, Christy. So I know you do a lot of these adventures and pursuits together as a family. How all of this has impacted your parenting style? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, going way back, I, I remember I'd always try and get my get a rise out of my mom as a kid and uh she worked in the medical profession and, and otherwise was pretty unflappable so i'm climbing up the 20-foot tree next to our house hey mom check it out and she's yeah. like you might want to get down before you fall and break your arm i'm yeah. like guess i better climb higher next time <laughs> uh you know I'd, I'd show up at her at her office at the hospital where she worked and i'd be covered in blood after this bike accident actually at yeah. Gerking's house and i'm walking down the hall and everyone's just like oh my gosh freaked out as they see me and my mom's sitting there like shaking her head like what'd you do this time you know and so that was my upbringing is a, a mom that was really encouraging and empowering like go do your thing bleed every day it's fine you're gonna be okay you're you're a sturdy kid and so then fast forward and i've got girls and i think there was this this desire of like let's do fun stuff um i have two daughters that is what that is um i don't have the boy that does the boy things but it's like i wasn't really thinking gender it's just yeah. like we're gonna do fun stuff and sure. i'm not viewing your gender as a a, a limitation of doing fun stuff so you know skateboarding in the, in the cul-de-sac and riding bikes and hiking and and certainly skiing from a very young age um yeah i think there's been somewhat of a uh, an alternate approach from the norm of always trying to protect i mean certainly helmets and elbow pads and wrist guards all the mm -hmm. protection but then let's let's uh, let's approach this and let's see if we can have fun doing this um so yeah I, I, again i think i picked my mom well in that regard and she set a foundation that we've just continued to say let's let's explore and do fun stuff and and talk about it and and see where your passions lie are you like your mom in that regard? So obviously you're, you're, you're doing this and exposing your daughters uh, to a lot of these pursuits. You talked about climbing that tree, being 20, 25 feet up. Are you also the same as your mom in, in that regard? If you saw a daughter up there, we'd just be like, yeah, why don't you come on down? I, I bring this. Here's the thing. It's funny because my wife talks a lot about that, about giving kids a uh, freedom and room to roam and explore. But she also has very much a uh, just a natural mama bear protective mm -hmm. part of her too. Mm -hmm. And so I think she likes the idea of it, but then is also the one that kind of freaks the 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 quickest between she and I. And, and I'm just thinking yeah. of our marriage and the relationship where I'm always like, just they're fine. Let them be a little bit. So yeah. yeah, do you do you give a pretty a pretty long rope uh, from a, a safety versus adventure a paradigm? Yes, and I, I think uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm fortunate to be raising daughters in the time where I am. Everything from they sell pink skateboards to um, you know there are more examples of women doing these things that perhaps we weren't seeing when we were growing up. And, you know, in the realm of, of, of higher risk activities. So there's excellent role models and there's a lot of good safety stuff. The other thing that's really helpful is that my wife, Christy, isn't real comfortable with a lot of that risk stuff. And so I've, I've told my kids since day one skiing, I'm like, look, kids, we've got about 1.3 trips to the <laughs> ER in this household before right. this all goes away. So that first trip, we can probably manage that with mom. We get to the ER twice it's probably all gone. So let's be smart about the risk that we sign up for and, and really kind of 
explore where, you know, what that risk looks like so we can effectively manage that and, and not have a bunch of industry uh, injury or tragedy associated with these good times. Cause we can operate safely out here. It's just, you know, we're not, we're not looking to just, you know, set up some sweet jump and huck ourselves off of it, knowing that boy, the landing is, is really low, low percentage. So I've got, I've got my wife in, you know, and I, and my own sort of parental fear, uh, sort of governing how much leash we give them. Mm-hmm. But I also like to see that leash be in many cases, uh, much longer than, than status quo. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably good that there's a balance there, a healthy balance. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I need, I need her perspective <laughs> exactly. and all of that. Yeah. yeah. As much as, uh, I think the girls benefit from just a little bit more like, let's just let them run a little bit. See yeah. where this goes. Do you consider yourself to be a role model? Do you think of yourself as that? Is that a conscious decision you make or something that you actually give thought to as you're going out and, and doing some of this stuff? Not not necessarily with your own kids, but especially with uh, with other families. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, interesting to think about. So I, I assume a lot of burden and responsibility. I feel a lot of burden and um, weight on my shoulders in terms of bringing these kids back safely. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes with my staff of, of eight coaches, you know, my perspective is one where I'm like, okay, here's what the avalanche report says. Here's what the winds do. And here's what the forecast is. you like laying down a bunch of like more sort of guide perspective ideas on the terrain for the day so that when we approach terrain, we're, we're being thoughtful about it, you know? Um, and it's, it's a huge, I mean, I, I've, I've met a couple of parents at the, the ski patrol shack when their kids have been injured. Unfortunately, you know, relatively light injuries. And I feel terrible about that. I, I really don't, I don't want, I don't like, and um, it, it creates a lot of uh, friction for me that, that there is so much injury and, and whatnot associated with the sport that I hold so dear. So mm-hmm. I think I give that a lot of consideration. I talk people through it. I let them know as parents, like, Here's what you're signing your kid up for, and and what you you know should get real with uh, as you pursue this. Um, so I think in that regard, I consider myself a role model because I want to make sure we're modeling good behavior and we're setting these kids up to have positive experiences and managing against just myriad potential for for bad things to happen. Um, and I think too, in in the type of coaching that I do, there is this aspect of like you need to demonstrate more so like. Growing up, I, I used to always have, for the longest time, my coaches were all better than me because I wasn't a very good skier. And then, I'm not sure if you remember, my junior year of high school, I went to a high school in North Idaho to pursue ski racing at a yeah. higher level. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time where I had a coach. I'm like, you can't ski very well at all. <laughs> but you're like this total ski coaching guru. And yeah. those you know dots were connected. Like, you don't have to be good at the thing to teach yeah. the thing. Um, and in fact, in fact, to cut you off for a second, sometimes some of the best coaches aren't necessarily the best at the thing. You, you see that all the time, especially at a professional sports level, be right. NBA coaches, NFL. Sometimes the best, in fact, sometimes some of the best players don't make the best coaches because they can't relate. They don't understand why somebody yep. can't comprehend something or do something that comes so naturally to them. So yeah. you know, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but no, no, that's that, a great that, that makes thought. sense I mean, to me. 
I've always thought like oh, one of the coaches that uh, in my mind that personifies that is is uh, Coach Jashevsky, Coach K, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like his persona is just kind of quiet and kind of nerdy and in whatnot, right? <laughs> I like the Yet voice change is, there, <laughs> right? But he is demanding the respect yeah. of these yeah. incredible athletes with huge yeah. egos yeah. and and r- helping them raise up to these high levels of performance. Yeah. It's amazing. And so, anyway, short story long, I think uh, there is this component in the coaching that I do that probably lends itself a little bit more to my style where maybe I'm not the best coach, but there is this balance between like, let's go do some fun stuff and I can still demonstrate what that looks like and get a lot of pleasure out of that. Um, so, but you're right. There is that balance between how good are you at, at teaching it and how good are you at demonstrating it? But in the, in the style of, of, of uh, coaching that I do, a lot of it comes down to, I've got to be able to ski this terrain better. I've got, it helps that I'm a big, stronger person. If mm. someone needs to be yarded out of a, a ditch or a tree well or whatever, you know, those things, uh, that stuff comes in really handy. Um, but do I view myself as a role model? Um, I don't know. I, I, I try to be much more of a, you know, respectable adult as I take on more responsibility, (laughs) especially in the eyes of families and kids in terms of how I show up and I present myself in social media, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I guess I, I stopped short of like, I've got anything to, you know, I don't feel uh, that I get served by, you know, high school kids going, wow, coach, that was great. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's talk about (laughs) what we're here to accomplish with you. (laughs) Probably the high school kids' parents are probably the ones that are like that dude's badass. <laughs> I, you know, it is fun. It is fun night, to get the people that are in the same uh, in, in the same generation as you, yeah. seeing you do these things. Yeah, no, I, I think I get a lot of that positive feedback, and it, mm-hmm. it is fun. And, and in fact, that one of the I donated myself to the the ski team fundraiser a day of backcountry okay. skiing cool. with me, and, and one of the dads that that um, you know bid at the highest, he's really enthusiastic about the program. He wants to do more backcountry skiing, and yeah, hanging out with that guy, it is it's good for the ego. It's pretty funny to hear sure. them talk about because these are those things, and I think that's why I enjoyed coaching adults for that that decade was that you know here are these folks that are pursuing so much in life to, you know, provide for their families. And, and, uh, you know, ultimately a lot of it just starts with starts and ends of providing for their families versus playing. And they're mm-hmm. like, man, you're doing a lot of playing and you're at this proficiency level that, uh, you know, a lot of folks aren't at, and that's pretty cool. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. <laughs> well, you've also, what else is cool is you've made it work because you, you are also providing for your family. So you've set up yes. a lifestyle that you're able to do that while, yeah, finding the time to play. And, and I think that's where the real uh, beauty comes comes into it. And as you just said, the challenge for a lot of individuals is a lot of people, it's either or. Right? I mean, they're yeah. going to play, but struggle to provide, or I'm going to put all my focus and energy into providing, but that's going to take away from playtime. So it's a, it's an either or. You've made it a, a both and. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for my professional life with the, the web company, uh, I've, I'm not a technologist, as I was telling you before uh, this broadcast, and I was having my technical difficulties. I, <laughs> I'm known as me. having the, the, the tech curse here, <laughs> and, and that's pretty laughable, you know, for a guy that runs a you know a web software and development company. But um, but I've been able to pursue these organizations that I really care about, whether it's Friends of Columbia Gorge or you know uh, brands like Buff and, and other you know outdoor brands, uh, and and just organizations run by you know friends that I, I care about. So that's been the thing that's that's helped there but but certainly i've I've found balance in coaching where um it does help to break down some of the the cost barriers for my family to get in um but the the beautiful thing is i remember coming out of college and i was like okay i love football and i love skiing 
I love, and I like, I like coaching. This will not be my vocation, but I think it'll be my avocation for a mm-hmm. long, long time. And I remember selecting skiing because I said, I get to participate. And at some point when my kids are involved, hopefully I'll get to do this with them. It'll be inclusive yeah. versus at the expense of my family, as we see so many uh, stories out there of coaches doing great things for other people's kids, but oftentimes yeah. the notion of the the football widow or, you know, yeah. like my dad was never there for me. So, I mean, the fact that I get to coach my freshman and her friends on ski hill every weekend, I mean, I, can't, I couldn't have scripted that better. Uh, so it, it is fun to see those those opportunities play well together, but you know, ultimately it comes to just doing more working. I'm, I'm a seven day a week guy all winter. And fortunately it feeds me uh, instead of that being something where I just feel completely drained uh, and, and having to you know take days off midweek or something to, to recoup from that, that weekend effort on top of the full-time work schedule. Yeah. What's been one of the more powerful moments that you have experienced in your 25 years of coaching? You know, I would say um, there are, again, going back to my own experience, I mean, we've seen, we've, I've, I've seen, and I, I, I'm not looking to take a bunch of credit for this, but I've, I've been a part of teams that have won state championships. Um, I was with Jesuit High School when their girls won the first school state championship in 2003. That was 10 years after they became a, a co-ed school. Uh, you know, we've seen, we've seen the, the typical success markers, but I think for me that it's been a couple of, of, uh, relationships and, and two that stand out to me are, are two young men who's, who lost their mom, uh, in very different ways, but to, to be there for these kids and to have a connection, to have this foundation of trust such that when they, they faced a, a loss as significant as, as one that I knew as a, a freshman in high school and my mom passed away. It just felt like it's so interesting how life serves it up and to, um, to have, have benefited so much in their role and then had that role reverse into being a position where it's like, I am, I am just here to help them and to be comfortable with the discomfort and to be able to spend time with them in a way that a lot of other people don't know how to deal with that. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing to share, but it's also just this beautiful thing to share and, and to see those friendships in those, in that immediate aftermath of them losing their mothers. And then over time, those relationships evolve into, to have been a part of that. It just feels like transcending the time on snow, transcending the summits and the victories and whatnot. In fact, I stood on the summit of the hood with both those guys, which is pretty rad. Um, but to have, to just be there with them and, and have sport be a vehicle to where I can be, uh, I can be of, of much greater service, uh, and connect on those levels. I, I think it's, uh, I mean, those, there are threads that go through the sport, uh, like that for me all over in my life. And I'm, I'm yeah. just eternally grateful. Yeah, oh, that's that's amazing. That's powerful. We talked on the phone last week when when I reached out uh, to you about doing this, and we're just discussing a few things. And you brought up a trip to the Wallawas uh, a bit ago with kids. You also did a recent traverse of the Wallawas, and a story that you told me that stood out that I wanted to talk a little bit about here on this podcast was that you connected with a gentleman that did a similar traverse with a group of people back in the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that conversation. How did you, how did you know about their traverse? How did you find this gentleman? And what was that conversation like? Yeah. Well, um, by way of context, you know, the Wallows have been a pretty special place to me since I think 2011, when I was invited to go on a trip with a couple of uh, ex-Panthers from high school, Rob Vaughn and Justin Mills. Hmm. And, uh, and I hadn't done much. I hadn't done, I don't think any 
like overnight backcountry stuff. So got invited, went on this hut trip and, and there was a, a, a young Victor McNeil and another guy named Sunshine Edwards that were our guides, 23 and 24. Beautiful range, living out of this yurt, skiing for four days, just completely destroyed each day when we get back, but just so energized yeah. each morning yeah. to like mm-hmm. shake off the cobwebs and do it again. So then I got invited to go back three or four years later with this group that uh, goes by the the name, the chargers. And it's just a bunch of dads that go out there once a year and they've been going now for over 20 years. And so I got invited in I'm the newbie. What's this look like? We went to this new zone on the Southern end of the range called the Norway hut. And, and then that just started this, I think now six year run of going. And I went from being the newbie who's trying to figure this thing out to being the group organizer and and taking on that kind of leadership role and then i get to bring people from different times in my life so tyler gerking's been on that trip before john burl another guy from southern oregon all these friends up in portland and it's just turned into this amazing uh annual pilgrimage out there and we've always had i, I just knock on what we've always been very grateful for the conditions we've had we've gotten into some amazing terrain and just share these rich experiences so as we're planning for this year's trip in 2020 with COVID, we're like, do we really want to put 10 dudes in a yurt? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't really get away from each other in, in a yurt yeah. setting from, from a safety perspective. But at the same time, uh, that guide I'd mentioned, Victor, was starting a new guide service to offer some new offerings, including that snowmobile-assisted backcountry scheme. But he yeah. said, hey, Ben, I got the Traverse. And, and so this is the first commercial traverse ever, um, ever allowed or permitted in the range. And I've been talking to him about that in the skin track over the years. And I'm like, what, what's next? What's next, Victor? What, what else should I be thinking about? And he's like, the traverse, the traverse. <laughs> and so this happens. We end up being the first group out of two this season that, that got to go. And um, so it was me and three others and then two guides, Victor and his wife, uh, Kelly. And so we get out on this traverse. It's four days. Uh, we get out there and, um, I put that little video together. I'm not sure if you saw that, but it's, it's, uh, we got a little bit of fresh snow, probably five or six inches. And then it just went blue and, um, the weather was perfect. And we had this incredible experience and Kelly was telling us, Oh yeah, I did this back in 2014 and we were trying to recreate the, the first trip that was done mm-hmm. by this group of farmers back in 19, she said 50s or 60s. She wasn't sure. Yeah. And so I got this really cool audio of her sharing her recollection of their trip. And I got back and I was just so moved by this experience. It was so beautiful. The skiing was great. Just being in the high alpine, camping out, being cold, all you know, skiing with a heavy pack. It was, it was just such a mind bender on so many levels. And I was putting this video together and I really wanted to have it be interesting to more than just me and my three buddies yeah. and the guides. Yeah. And, and this story of these, these other gentlemen doing this, I started digging into that. And so I found some old video clips uh, that, of this video that was supposed to be created after that group that Kelly had been a part of, um, you know, in 2014, they'd captured some of this old video, original video from 1960. And, and I'm just like, I want to keep, I want to scratch the itch. Like, yeah. are these guys still alive? And, and, you know, I was talking to uh, one of the guys on that 2014 trip. He's like, yeah, the guy's name's Walter Cladges. Maybe just look it up and I don't know, maybe you can ca- track him down in enterprise, right. Oregon, little town, yeah. Oregon. Sure enough, Google Walter Cladges. There's his number. 
smile and dial, pick up the phone. And, <laughs> and here's this old guy picks up the phone. He's like, hello. And uh, I'm like, hi, this is Ben McKinley. I'm sorry, I can't hear very good. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry to bug you. And half an hour later, he yeah. had opened up about his entire experience. They tried once in 59, went back okay. in 60, and they went from the, the north to the south. So the other direction, we went from, from okay. south to north. <laughs> but um they went from the north to the south. They got caught in this terrible blizzard. They were trying to do a video for uh, National Geographic, but they spent all their time during the days actually Crazy. just trying to survive because they were caught in this blizzard. Yeah. And in all these rich stories, you know, the, the tall wood skis, the the wool knickers, the whole thing, and, and hearing him with such vivid uh, recollection yeah. share this story. And at the end of it, he's like, Ben, I can't thank you enough for calling me and giving me an opportunity to go back down this path. And I'm like, man, I can't thank you enough for just sharing in this experience. So just one of those things that just created this even deeper connection to this place that I just absolutely love through our guides, through this guy who had this experience and, and feeling like, man, we're doing something cool, but it's made that much more meaningful because we're, we're tapping into those that have done it before us and and just trying to build upon that and, and share it in a, in a way that hopefully inspires others to think like me, hey, maybe I could pull that thing off. Yeah. Do you feel like you should do it again with tall wooden skis and wool knickers? Yeah. To right. Really get the right. full experience. <laughs> I thought about that. You know, I, I, um, I work with this local uh, ski shop here in town called the mountain shop. It's been in business since 37. And we had said, yeah, we should do for their 80th birthday. We're like, we should do a, yeah. a, a climb of the mountain in like 1937 yes. gear. Uh, so thank you. It was, yeah. I'll tell you, it was hard enough with yeah, uh, totally modern gear. And that was one of the things that I was just loved hearing about like these old external frame packs. And it, I mean, the stuff <sighs> was so clunky. It's like you pulled that thing off in a blizzard after being holed up for four days in a snow cave that yeah. kept collapsing on you and we had pristine conditions with yeah. all the, the raddest stuff and yeah. it was hard it was still enough tough. i i, I yeah. think that too I, I i nowhere near uh the level of what you've done but i've i've done rainier a handful of times and and baker and kilimanjaro and done my share yeah. of uh, mountaineering and i think that all the time is like you said it's, it's damn hard no matter what i could not imagine doing that in conditions that people used to do back in the yeah. the mid 1900s when yeah. <laughs> these sports really started taking off. It's crazy. Yeah. And that gives me energy every time as I think back yeah. about like, you're feeling sorry for yourself covered yeah. in Gore-Tex and super yeah. lightweight, everything yeah, like exactly. you got this, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's out there? What's on Ben McKinley's bucket list still? You know, I think uh, fortunately for me, uh, something that I, I uh, came to realize a couple a couple winters ago is that um, this coaching thing for me has turned into something where I think it's actually really good for for me personally and my relationship with my wife for sure. But in terms of from a longevity play, because a lot of my goals where they're trending toward uh, the risk profiles going up and the chance for, you know, bad outcomes is increasing. So Mm -hmm. by virtue of the fact I spend, you know, essentially the first half of the season from Christmas through mid-March committed to, uh, you know, safely exposing other people to the outdoors, it kind of, it kind of dials back the the risk of my, my overall risk profile for the year. That said in the springtime, I like to, you know, when we call it the volcano season, when it comes to, you know, snowpacks getting more stable and, and, you know, higher pressure systems and and more reliable weather, I love climbing volcanoes and, and pushing the envelope. So I would say for me, 
my own interests, uh, there's this place up in Alaska called Little Switzerland. It's kind of at the base of, of, of Mount McKinley. And Mount McKinley is appealing, but this zone, Little Switzerland, you can literally get a permit day of, fly in when the conditions are right, ski some amazing terrain, and get out of there when it's, when it's no good anymore. Um, so that one, again, feels safer and a smaller window of time, but just incredible skiing. So the notion of these kind of maybe not the the bucket list items that you know are are traditional but mm-hmm. that that zone little little switzerland there's another place called ruth gorge um right there at the base of, of mckinley that's got some incredible like five thousand foot coars that you can boot up and ski down and then like camp down in the in the glacier below for like a week or so that would be mind-blowing and then like further afield or longer duration activities would be a friend of mine uh, is a guide and he takes people to Kashmir in india okay. to ski mm-hmm. wow. and so just the cultural and and the the skiing out there um you know in the karakoram range would be would be pretty wild uh and the himalayas are like so that's just yeah. like this this magic land to me of being able to not even, I don't need to get on top of Everest or anything like that, but just trekking and seeing the yaks and the communities and the people. um, That's a, that's a zone that I would, I would love closer to home. I think PCT or at least the John Muir trail, Mm -hmm. that's something Mm -hmm. that um, I'd love to do in part or whole. I think PCT is probably unless something changed dramatically, I'm not sure that's in the cards for this family guy. (laughs) And I would say, the, again, the, the thing that I'm more and more interested in is not so much my own pursuits, but it's like stuff with kids and friends yeah. and my wife. Yeah. You know, like I'd love to do the rim to rim with my wife, um, you know, and, and stay on one end and maybe hike back, you know, a day later. Um, I'd love to, uh, you know, anything my kids want to do, you know, just seeing it through their eyes or even other friends' eyes for the first time, even if I've done it before that. That just never gets old. So that, right. I could just hit the replay button on. Cool. I mean, we went to the enchantments uh, for my second time this last September with three friends who had never done it before. And, and we got it so prime. The larch were all golden. The day was perfect. And, and experiencing myself was incredible. But for them, I, I found myself mm-hmm. like, when you're with that annoying person who's seen the movie before and like, Oh, wait yeah. for this. Oh, yeah. you're going to love yeah. this. Yeah. And then I'm right. like, no, don't say a word. Yeah. Just let them experience it. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I could do that for the rest of my life that opportunity to see others share in that experience that you know how powerful it is and getting to watch them have those same emotions. That's, that's, that's really special. Okay. I'm going to shift gears from coaching as we're talking. I'm, I'm looking at you and uh, I love your setup here for your office. So again, as you said, you, you run uh, a company called Cascade web development. And yep. I actually bought a pair of skis from you, a pair of used skis from you a couple, a couple of winters ago. I've, I've recently gotten back in to skiing after a long hiatus throughout my adult life. And I was like, man, I need some skis you know, so much. So it'd been so long since I skied that I had never experienced the new, the new age of skis. I was still used to rocking my, my two twenty like a triangle tip yeah. <laughs> thin skis. Yeah. So, um, I was like, who do I know that's around my size that probably has a bevy of <laughs> ski equipment that I could reach out to? And so, bing, of course, bing, your bing. name popped to mind. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but what I loved, what I loved about where your company is, is that you have refurbished uh, a bunch of old rail cars in Portland. And I just want to talk a little bit about that. It just, uh, it, it kind of is fitting, I think, for you and a lot of these non-traditional pursuits that you do, the fact that you have your office in such a space. But it was really cool when we talked on the phone, you were also saying how the outside of these have become 
uh, in essence, a, a canvas for a lot of street artists and that you've given them a platform to share their uh, their work and their art. And especially through uh, a lot of this last year and a lot of the politically uh, charged environment and Black Lives Matter movement, that this has been uh, an open canvas of sorts that you have given to people. So I met this young man, well, young man, he's 39, um, but this guy, Eric, <laughs> who's from the con has a cool story uh, or very not the coolest, but I mean, a very unique and fascinating story where he was born in Brussels. I think his dad was a merchant Marine, uh, but he's from the Congo. His mom passes away tragically when he's six gets adopted to the United States and then really struggled with these huge life changes and found breakdancing and art as his avenues. And so fast forward, he's in Portland. I see some of his art around town and reach out and he's like, yeah, I want this challenge. I've never done anything of this scale. And, and he painted this beautiful mural on our train that has this young girl with this big tiger behind her that's really powerful. And this other one that's just this girl kind of staring up in the sky. And, and you know, but just these, all of his work has, he places women and he's very like confident, strong, mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. fierce um, characters that I just, I'm like, this is beautiful. And what a beautiful place for it right across the street from Omsi, you know, yeah. as all these families roll through that they can kind of process this art and enjoy it. So, and, and then through our friendship, he sees what I'm into and he's like, Hey, I want to stand on top of a volcano with you. Can we make that happen? And I'm like, Oh man, dude, yeah. that would be the coolest. So mm -hmm. now we've been going on some hikes and doing some things to try and get him on a path so that hopefully we can stand on top of a volcano, um, but put him in a position to, to succeed because I think he realized like, Oh, this is hard to put one foot in front of the other four hours yeah. on end. Yeah. Um, but through that, just building this friendship and, and, you know, connecting on this, you know, it's sort of his art and willingness to, to do this piece for, for the community. And then through that, it's kind of spawned a friendship and this shared interest of like, how can we help each other out and enrich each other's lives? I mean, those, those are, these are, this is a community of folks I never would have tapped into without it. So it's been this unexpected uh, blessing for sure. That is cool. Well, paying it forward. It's funny that it almost circles all the way back to something you said earlier in the conversation of one of your first mountaineering experiences that was back right. when you were a football player and probably packing on a, an additional 50 pounds once you got now and, and how gassed you were and could you actually uh, make it and now you're working with this uh, guy to uh, train him to both physically and mentally prepare himself to stand on the top of a, of a volcano i mean yeah yeah and i think to that point you know one little tangent is this notion that i as much as i love uh, my involvement in skiing and ski coaching it's not lost on me the amount of privilege associated with it it's not lost on me the amount of privilege and just protecting as much time in my schedule as i do for recreation yeah. and yeah. so i've always been like from a the dei perspective how do i create more access to the outdoors, be more inclusive. And, and uh, I haven't figured out how to do that at scale, but I think some of these small little steps where I'm able to, you know, break down some of the barriers and, and sort of release my privilege in terms of owning these trains and controlling yeah. them and saying, you do what you want, what's your vision and, and just cutting them loose. And then certainly when it comes to, you know, being able to say, Oh, you're showing interest. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to support that interest and, and help you do something that maybe you didn't think uh, you could pull off. And so I, I get really excited about, finding those little opportunities and then uh, seeing where that could lead. Cause you know, yeah. on the one hand he might not end up desiring to put in the work or have other barriers to get in the way of him, you know, sharing that experience with me. But I feel like, man, if I don't try and we don't head down this path, we won't know. Right. Uh, and it, it's got the mind spinning on what are some other ways in which we can not only get young mm -hmm. people doing things that traditionally young people don't do, but 
we're not just talking about, you know, hopefully at some point we're not just talking about affluent white kids, yeah. but also, you know, kids that uh, are people that haven't had the blessings of, of really supportive and, and, you know, parents with means, but to, to bit by bit expose them to stuff and, and see where that can lead for them. So yeah, it's been a fun journey. Good. What advice would you give to yourself if you could have a conversation with 20 year old version? You know, probably patience, um, especially 20 year old version. Uh, you know, there were some opportunities that came my way that would have required bigger chunks of time that I didn't pursue because I had been indoctrinated into this thinking that you go to school, you go to work, you grind, you grind, you grind. And then there's this opportunity at the end. And while my mom's passing, um, really challenged that I still, that was always a a driver. So, you know, the idea I could have gone and and done a player coach stint in Germany after college, uh, for football and what a cool cultural experience that would have been. Um, you know, the notion of taking three weeks and going here, a month and going there, you know, um, and having these rich cultural and, and adventure experiences. I wish I would have had the comfort to say, I'm just going to pause this Mm -hmm. train and, and go do this thing and then come back and it's going to be all right. So, uh, taking bigger chunks, um, of time to explore interests instead of just subscribing to get in a track and go, um, I could have been better at that at times. You are happiest when I'm happiest when, um, you know, being surrounded by uh, a small group of, of people I really care about in, in a wild environment. And I think the, the, the one area that, that never gets old is, you know, being somewhere up on the side of a mountain, you know, a snowy mountain and watching the sunrise. I mean, mm-hmm. that is just such magic and, um, it's hard to recreate those, those shared memories with friends and, and family. You have to do something you're scared to do. What is your process of quieting that fear and proceeding anyways? You know, I've, I've, uh, spent a lot of time hearing people talk about that. I'm just, a, uh, I devour a lot of a podcasts and a lot of those are mm-hmm. about people that have, have chosen these lives of adventure and risk. Yeah. And the, the one person that, that, uh, stands out to me or their position is this ex extreme skier from the nineties. Her name was Kristen Ulmer. And, and she talks about, uh, not, um, you know, I used to have that sticker in the back of my, my, uh, Chevy sprint that said no fear. Right. right. And like just smash it down and move on. Yeah. And, and her, her approach that really resonates with me is this notion of, of acknowledging of awareness. And, and this also kind of speaks to me as I'm reading inner, inner scheme, which is a spinoff of inner game of tennis. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll just digress for a moment here and then you can jump back to answering this. Yeah, yeah, it's funny do. because this came up in one of my early podcast episodes with Antoine Lane, uh, police Lieutenant from the Austin police department. And he was a competitive pistol shooter and was recommended reading this book called the inner game of tennis to help him overcome the mental hurdles he was having. Yeah. Uh, and so that was referenced in our podcast. And then all of a sudden I get a text from you, uh, a day or two after that episode's released and it's just a picture of a of an old book yep. and so you're yep. like this has become like the bible for me of <laughs> mental approach and overcoming uh mental hurdles uh within the yeah within the skin. Well, so anyway, it, was, it was just interesting that that correlation well i and i've heard about that more and more about that book i originally heard about it on a podcast and this guy was you know that that um the author timothy Helen, uh, was, or Galloway, uh, was, um, talking about, and then I found that he had an inner skiing. And so, but I think there's this common thread of like awareness and acknowledging what it is. So for me, when I, I come up upon something, um, then I'm like, 
what is what's fear what's real fear um you know what's irrational fear can i deal with the worst case scenario and how do i focus on the best case scenario and so um i think just becoming at peace and saying oh there you are let's mm-hmm. dance you know yep. let's let's do this thing together instead of assuming that if i feel fear it's it's weakness or anything else it's like no this is this heightened sense that it adds so much richness to this experience but but pay attention to it honor it and then and then move forward with it instead of trying to to resist or or fight yeah. against it or ignore it so um, like i said i think it kind of came full circle when i was reading inner skiing because not only does that work for me but i think all of a sudden with that podcast and with inner skiing, I had a better way of communicating that to others to break down, you know, these fears or these frustrations that people share about, um, you know, being involved in sport, facing risky situations that I feel is really disarming. And it's like, okay, I can do this. Cause I would say when I was younger, all I would see is the line that would get me to success. And as I got older, all I could pay attention to were all the potential areas where I could meet failure. Mm. And, and then ultimately, and it's like, no, 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 just come to peace with that. Have that, that quiet, calming moment, assess the situation, honor it, and then move forward with, you know, with that sense of fear and, and all the excitement uh, has been, um, you know, really, it just feels like a much healthier approach for me. Yeah. What does being brave mean to Ben McKinley? Well, yeah, since you, um, I guess I've, since I've listened to all your episodes and I knew this was coming, I've, I've given this some thought, uh, and <laughs> not everyone you know, does not, not every guest has listened. So these, 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 these last few questions throw some people off, but you're yeah, a student. I'm kind of cheating a little bit. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and I would say if I boil it all down, you know, and I think about, uh, where I'm most uncomfortable, uh, and yet where I get the greatest reward, I think it's, it's that investment in others. You know, and and again, as we talked about earlier, the intensity of experience sometimes really helps with that. I think about my relationship with my wife. You know, here she is. I think um, not an entrepreneur by by um, her DNA is not entrepreneur. She was a mm-hmm. teacher at first, um, you know, and she she is more thoughtful and more cautious. And you know, we think look at these personality um, tests and whatnot. It's like I'm on one end of the spectrum and she's on the other. And you can look at that and go, man, that's not very healthy. How are you guys ever going to get along? And on the other the whole notion of opposites attract and the compliment that we bring each other, it's amazing. Um, and and but. 21 years and counting, uh, 21 years in July, like we've been through a lot of living together and it's not always easy, but the, the richness that comes from that deep investment, oh my gosh, incredible. Right. And, and I, I see the same with, um, you know, relationships with this gentleman, uh, Stefan Brewer. I've worked with him since 2001, you know, he's our technical director, front guy for a metal band, you know, tattoos all over, you know, piercings. Like I look at him and my, my 17 year old or high school brains, like, I'm not sure we would have been boys, yeah. but then I look at how we've enriched each other's lives over the years. And it's like, there are a few people I got love for that guy, like, like almost mm-hmm. nobody else. Yeah. And so seeing the, seeing what can come of putting yourself out there and really investing in other people and then the experiences that you can have together and just the, the benefits come of that are incredible. And the flip side of that is when you go all in with somebody and you really invest and it's not received in the way that you want to, man, that's crushing. I feel that very, very strongly. So yeah, I think it takes a lot of bravery to really, really invest in other people for, for, you know, positive outcomes to really put yourself, um, you know, in their hands in a lot of, of situations. Um, that takes about all the bravery I can muster sometimes. Well, Ben, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining me today and for your time and insight, I would, uh, I would love to join you sometime on one of these adventures. I, I, I can't keep up if it is, is going to involve skiing. 
But if it's, <laughs> but if I would it's, love you know, nothing so- <laughs> more, Ryan. Yeah, no, it's. I think that's it. It's. Uh, it's been really fun getting to reconnect with you through listening to your podcast and hearing just you know the side anecdotes of, of your own life experience, but also this this podcast. And nothing would be better than uh, taking this uh, little digital experience into the into the woods and and stacking up some memories together. So I'd love to make Absolutely. that happen soon. Let's, let's let's make it happen. We can create a, a round two of this after. Now you're talking. Experiencing something like that. That'd be great. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Ben. Uh, Take care. Uh, Best of luck with everything. And uh, thanks for everything that you're, that you're doing out there and all the impact that you're having on so many people's lives. Likewise, Ryan. Look forward to hearing more of your podcast. Take care, my friend. And that's a wrap on this episode of The Bravest Kind with your host, Ryan Schaefer. Be sure to check out my website, ryanschafer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R.com for more podcast episodes and information happening in my world. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Bravest Kind podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please take a moment to leave us a rating for the show. We'll be back at it with a new guest next week. Until then, be brave and be kind in your own lives. 